Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker. The pro wrestling world is currently on fire. And so we've got you covered five days a week on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Every Monday and Thursday, hang out with me and Kaz on the Masked Man Show. And this is Peter Rosenberg, the host of Cheap Heat. Join me and my guys, that guy Greg and Dipperstein, on Tuesdays and Fridays. We talk wrestling, we have bagel breakdowns, mage interviews, and so much more. And Ben Cruz here. Come kick it with me, Cal, and Brian on Wednesday Worldwide, where we hit the most interesting headlines and even react to some of Mass Man's, Cheap Heats, or even your hottest takes. Don't tap out, tap in to the Ringer Wrestling Show feed, now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay mage, everyone. Worldwide. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now from WEI in the Six Rings Pod, it is Nick Fitzy Stevens. Fitzy, what's going on, man? How are you? What's up, Thunder? Great to be back in your always collaborative environment, Barrett. <laughs> I appreciate that. So last time you were on, we had the draft of the Patriots dynasty, and we went back and forth to see who could draft the best team. And Tom Brady was not involved in that draft because we figured hey, whoever gets Tom Brady is going to easily win this because he sort of is kind of the greatest quarterback of all time. So whoever got Brady is going to win the thing. This time, Tom Brady is going to be involved in our draft, and we're going to go through and draft the best players from the 2000s in all Boston sports. So Tom Brady obviously factors into the equation, but the difficult part is going to be you can't pick Larry Bird because he's pre-2000, obviously. Played in the 1980s, right? Bill Russell. Mm -hmm. You can't pick Bill Russell, the greatest winner of all time. And then there are going to be some decisions we have to make when it comes to a guy like Pedro Martinez. Does he make the cut? Manny Ramirez, does he make the cut? So it's going to be interesting when we get to the tail end of this. Like the top three and four seem pretty secure. But once we get down this list a little bit, it's going to be interesting. So I'm ready to go head to head, man. I cannot wait to go head to head with you. I'm already anticipating one of the two participants list is going to be extremely Foxborough heavy. And that guy happens to not be the host of Off the Pike, although I do a lot of my best work off the pike. So we'll see. <laughs> I mean, you know, and lucky us, too. Like there are some other cities, Barrett, you have to figure even like some major cities like L.A. or New York, where they would probably struggle to put together 
the 10 best athletes from 2000 to today, whereas just in even making notes for this. And again, obviously, I lean Pat centric on all of this stuff. And yeah, it's mostly Patriots 2000 to 2020, kind of the same span as the Dynasty series currently running and that we're obsessing over on Apple TV plus. Um, but there's like the, we could do two dozen just like that. Whereas like, again, like a lot of other cities would probably struggle to pick 10 that were as impactful and integral to multiple championships like we've had in Boston. Now, I know you had to include the other teams, so maybe this is a reach. Did you have Mohamed Sanu on your big board? I, uh, <laughs> Natch. I mean, of, course, of course I had. See, here's the thing, though. I'm not I'm not going to say, you know, I, I'm a as you know, uh, always comfortable being the lone inhabitant of unpopular take island and B. I'm not going to call myself a Mohammed Sanu stan, although oh I am somebody I am someone who defends Cam Newton on the regular for what he at least attempted to do in his one year on the Patriots. And no, that attempt was not a pass that skipped to Jacoby Myers's knees. Um, Mohammed Sanu was not bad when they got him. It was the right move to make. I still wish they went for Manny Sanders over Mohammed Sanu that year to placate Brady in the Antonio Brown aftermath, which never should have taken place considering the guy rested free from the Raiders with no shirt on after he had a hot air balloon accident at training camp and froze his feet in France. Um, Sanu was good-ish for a while, but when they had him back on punt return coverage against the Eagles that year in a game they only won because Edelman threw a friggin' touchdown pass, the offense was so bad, he wrecked his ankle in the middle of November and was done. So whatever he was going to contribute that year was a wash, and he's now since become one of the many punchlines of Pat's nation over the past five years. Well, it's the whole year, right? Because they gave up a second round pick for him, I believe, right? And they had drafted Nikhil Harry in the first round. And basically, Antonio Brown was supposed to be the savior, and it didn't work out. Although, the one game he played against Miami, that dude was so good in that game. I just remember the game was in Miami. He's jumping into the stands. I asked James White about, remember like the legendary practice we heard about? The ball never hit the ground, and it was like the best practice of all time. James White confirmed it. He's like, yeah, it was a pretty good practice. Like Tom throwing the ball to Antonio Brown. You know, here we are talking about these days, you know, how we can get Rodney Harrison into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Matthew Slater, who officially announced his retirement this week, is he going to be a Pro Football Hall of Famer? The thing is, Antonio Brown legitimately has a case if you just divorce the man or whatever the hell he is um, from the the player. His statistics and his on-field accomplishment easily not only are pro pro football hall of fame worthy, but you could say he's one of the 10 best wide receivers that ever played the game. The problem is, is people have a hard time giving him his flowers because he's a lunatic and uh, he's, he's a, he's a more than just a problem child as well. I, 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 he's one of those cases. This is almost like a podcast for another day. uh, But like the, the five players that made you question your fandom, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. remember how we all had to take a soul shower after they signed him and we all felt like, oh, boy, I am morally compromised right now. I'm going to be rooting for him on Sunday. Make no mistake, because I'm a Pats fan and I'm addicted to championships. But man, this guy's a POS and I don't feel good about it. It was a really weird time because obviously we knew at that time there were issues with Brady and Belichick, which we'll find out more about in the documentary, The Dynasty coming out. But also, you look back, remember the pictures of like him in Brady's kitchen with him, with him and Giselle, the selfies, it was just a weird time. And then apparently Brady was upset where, remember they like Kraft said, Brady said, are you, are you on board with this? And Brady's like 100%, no, a million percent or something. Like apparently like there was issues with that. It was just, 
it was weird. The one game he played, though, the guy was outstanding, and then they, of course, had to move on from him, and Tom was then, he said it that year. What was it? The most, I can't remember if it was 8-0 and or 9-0, and but the most miserable 8-0 and or 9-0 and quarterback of all time. It was the Sunday night game against the Ravens where they got waxed, except they actually were in the game. That was Mohamed Sanu's debut, actually. See, bringing me back to my Mohamed Sanu fan page that I'm the only person that's a member of. Um, Sanu was really good in that game as well. The Pats were coming back in that game, but Brady only had Sanu and Edelman to throw to. And if you remember, he threw a um, he threw an out to Edelman, who was gassed at that point, because I think he had like 12 targets in the first half. And I think it was Marlon Humphrey who just like ripped it out of his hands and then ran it 70 yards back for a touchdown. And that was ball game. But before that game, Collinsworth did the whole like, yeah, I sat down with Tom Brady before the game. And he said, oh, man, I'm the most miserable eight. No quarterback in the league, Al. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. It's, I mean, it, it adds up now based on how everything sort of ended with the Patriots, but Speaking of the dynasty, so Bill Belichick, I was thinking about this the other day where this Atlanta job, it now, like at the beginning, I'm like, how appealing is this job? But now that he's missed out on it, I'm kind of thinking, you look at Kirk Cousins, he's one of the best free agents in NFL history, right? I mean, we think about Darrell Revis, always taking the most money. He's a hired gun for the Patriots in 2014, wins the Super Bowl, and then gets all that money from the Jets and the Patriots were right not to bring him back based on the money. But Kirk Cousins is his wife's from Georgia. He could go there. You look at that division. They have the eighth pick. So they could sign Kirk Cousins, hypothetically. They could even, if they wanted to, draft another weapon. Odds are neighbors or Dunze is going to be there at eight. And, okay, we'll see what happens with Mike Evans in Tampa. Because, of course, they had their issues last year prior to the season starting about if he's going to finish his career as a member of that organization. Who knows? Maybe he ends up in... Houston, where he's from the state of Texas, maybe ends up there. So I look at that division and it just seems like it's so winnable. And now that I think about it, I do kind of feel bad that Bill didn't get that job. Even if it's not a premier job and we know it's not a premier market, it does seem like that would have been an easy opportunity for Bill to rack up some wins and chase down Shula. And it would have been an easy way for me to rack up some money because I'd had my brother mock up these Bella Chick-fil-A t-shirts using the Chick-fil-A. It was, would have been an absolute gold rush. Pat's fans would have all been wearing them. And of course, the funny thing is it would be the only Chick-fil-A that would be open on Sundays. You're welcome. Uh, I, I, uh, I, 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 at first, I sort of thought like, God, these make odd bedmates. But as someone who loves, A, you know, I understand, and this ties back into the dynasty as well, like all good narratives are only enhanced by or even just a, a story worth telling if there's a good villain in the first place. And Bill Belichick is seen much like Tom Brady as these reviled villains of Atlanta Falcons lore because of Super Bowl 51. So how interesting it would have been for Arthur Blank to have to go to the coach who overcame the 28 to three deficit in Super Bowl 51 and say, OK, I give up. You know what? The only way I can possibly redeem my soul and that of my team is if I bring you in to turn our program around and maybe bring us back to the promised land that you ripped out of our hands six years ago. I, and I think, it would, I think it'd be great. And, you know, Belichick goes into a decent roster. Uh, they, they've got talent on offense galore. My God, what Arthur Smith was not able to do with the likes of Drake London and Bijan Robinson, um, Kyle Pitts at tight end as well. And then, you know, defense is pretty solid. They have good corners. They signed Jesse Bates last year. Like, I like the Falcons roster. If you can come in, get a quarterback, have a solid draft, decent free agency, and you add Bill Belichick, 
They win the NFC South easily with, you know, hands tied behind their back, wearing a blindfold. And then they're competing in, you know, in the in the NFC for the next couple of years. He easily gets his Shula record and they may have actually been able to get after it as well. Plus, Barrett, how good would this have been? Belichick goes to Atlanta and then Atlanta has to come to Foxborough in 2025. And you know that Goodell and everyone at 345 Park Avenue would have had every algorithm and every AI in the world working on. Tell me the week the Falcons are most likely to be competing for the all-time wins record for Belichick. And then it would have been Belichick trying to get the all-time wins record against the Patriots. I mean, you do not, you could not possibly get better football theater than that. Yeah, that would have been awesome. And now I wonder... Is he going to get a job in the next coaching cycle, right? Because a lot of these teams could have fired their coach, whether it be McDermott or whether it be Mike McCarthy and sign Belichick, and they didn't do it. So I do wonder what happens next coaching cycle, especially now that Ben Johnson didn't get a gig and Mike Vrabel didn't get a gig. So it's going to be interesting to monitor that. Speaking of the dynasty, what have you made of the documentary so far? I'll tell you, like, like for me, growing up as a young Patriots fan at the time where the dynasty started... I thought, and I had Matt Hamachek, the director, on the other day, I loved the apartment footage of Brady. I thought that was so cool where it's like he's just he's just one of the guys hanging out with a couple of dudes and competing in tech mobile and stuff. I thought that was awesome. Just how they set up the story of like Brady taking over. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. I thought it was cool. Yeah, listen, th- there are a couple of narrative liberties that I feel like the Jeff Benedict and Matt Hamachek, uh, who have done spectacular work. I've I've heard from non-Patriot fans texting me like, hey, bro, uh, long time no speak. Uh, are you watching this Dynasty series on Apple? It's amazing. It's like it's made totally just for you. Like, yes, I yeah, I, I, I have not to humble brag. I've interviewed the author. I've hung. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yes, obviously. I mean, like if you're just judging it from entertainment value alone, the testimonials, um, the production value, the music. The behind-the-scenes footage, Jeff Benedict told us on the Six Rings Football Things podcast that they had over, and I'm sure Matthew Hamachek told you the same, they had access to over 35,000 hours of archival Patriots, home video, and NFL films material. So you're talking all the stuff in Foxborough in the hands of so many players that they turned over, in addition to everything in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, like, this is grade A Patriots porn, as I like to call it. Like, you're talking the 28-day dry age tomahawk ribeye of Patriot steak. Like it is so good. It's so entertaining. And while they made, as I said before, take a couple of narrative liberties. Like I think they undersold in episode two and to three about how important that loss to the Rams was in the middle of 2001. They painted it more as a, well, people are starting to question Belichick and Brady now. Like I remember a lot of people thinking, holy smokes, I think this team can actually hang with the Rams and Mike Martz, who's in it. Even said afterwards, famously, to that Rams team, the greatest show on turf, that's a damn good football team over there. Don't be surprised if we see them again. Surprise, surprise. They do see them again later in February. Ricky Prohl says tonight a dynasty is born. Turned out to be the wrong team that the dynasty was born for. It's super entertaining. It's ultimately compelling. And my biggest takeaway, Barrett, is that it is giving me um, in addition to, you know, the laughter that comes with like Ty Law saying like, man, I left $150,000 worth of equipment in that house. Brady owes me that money, bitch. And, you know, Brady with the bowl cut hairdo, like I'm the baddest mother on the planet. Like, I love all that shit. I, I can't get enough of it. But my 
biggest takeaway is it's giving me a renewed appreciation in both the personalities on that team and just how great they were and what it took to uh, put the whole thing together. That's why I love that they spend two and a half episodes getting to Super Bowl 36 um, and going through like, you know, Belichick. They hated him in Cleveland. They hung him in effigy. They couldn't wait to get him out of town. He got the quarterback decision wrong once. He couldn't screw it up again. Um, great draws, great storytelling, and they're jumping timelines almost like it's a Tarantino movie in certain ways. Um, it's it's great, man. And I'll tell people, since you and I have had a chance to look ahead to a lot of stuff, oh, the Spygate episode. Episode four is so great and so tough. Oh, Randy Moss is electric, but God, it's so painful to revisit that over and over again. Yeah, Randy Moss is awesome. I would say the two best, like, not main characters, so to speak, in the whole thing are Randy Moss and Ty Law. Ty Law was incredible in the first two episodes. That dude is hilarious. And I know you've worked with him at WEI and and talked to him yeah. on the radio a bunch of times. And I know that you, of course, do a lot of stuff for the Patriots. So you know him better than I do. I don't really know. I don't know Ty Law, but oh, he he's a great guy. Unbelievable character on the show. Like he was in show documentary. He was incredibly mm -hmm. entertaining. And you mentioned that first Rams loss. So I remember going back to when they were moving on from Bill and some of the stuff, because they didn't exactly cover this part in the doc. But Bill's whole rationale for sticking with Brady, when he essentially said that it's not fair, it's just one guy's had more time with the team. And he actually said, and I don't have the direct quote in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing here, that part of, like Tom was not great in that Rams game, obviously. And he said it's because he didn't get the reps. Like he didn't get all the reps that he needed to practice. So when most people look at this and say, okay, Here's the first overall pick, the $100 million quarterback. Hey, our guy in the sixth round didn't play well. It's time to go back to Drew Bledsoe and let him take things over from here. Thanks for holding the fort down, Tom. Bill said, actually, no. Y you know, like, the reason we Tom wasn't great is Tom needs more reps. I thought that was like, it seems like such a basic thought, but I don't think most people would have thought of it that way. And I know, like, obviously in the doc, they talk about who is it? Ernie Adams calls Drew like a wildebeest to something at that point in time. So obviously, yeah, like, yeah. like, that's an underrated character, too, I should say. Ernie Adams. Oh, listen, there was a tweet earlier this week where someone said uh, the the whole the, the they had posited like, OK, the game we're going to play is you have to mention the, the person who's next most responsible for the great dynastic run of the Patriots. And you can't say Brady, Kraft or Belichick. And my immediate go to was Ernie Adams, not Gronk, not Vinatieri not even Skarnecchia, because I think Ernie Adams did so much behind the scenes, so much research, so much advanced scouting. He's so intelligent. He knows Bill in and out so much. Like they talk about in the documentary, they've known each other since high school, practically. So these guys get each other. That, that is chemistry and synergy at its finest. And Ernie Adams is just such a brilliant football mind, such a brilliant person in the first place. So unique, so weird, so awkward, so wonderfully intelligent that I think of the great brain drain over the years of losing different coaches and coordinators, you can basically look to whenever Ernie Adams left, that's when special teams started making mistakes. That's when there were more penalties on the team. That's just those little things started coming undone that always either got swept under the rug or tidied up. And don't forget, it was Ernie Adams who kind of suggested they run this pass play in practice before Super Bowl 49, which of course was the pass play that Brandon Browner and ultimately Malcolm Butler recognized at the goal line, jumped the root of and changed Super Bowl and Patriots and NFL history with the greatest interception ever made. I think Ernie Adams is a freaking genius, man. And and also, too, 
When I say that Drew Bledsoe, the Drew Bledsoe Re- Appreciation Society needs to reconvene on a regular basis, it's just because it's not that the guy was the greatest quarterback ever. I don't want to deal with all these Twitter trolls that are like, oh, this is a craft whitewash and it's the hagiography, the hagiography of Drew Bledsoe. Like, no one is saying he's close to a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback or that he's Tom Brady or anything like that. But the fact that he was the first like real superstar for the Patriots to sort of lead them out of the darkness or begin coming out of the coal mine, if you will, does he deserves appreciation. And also, he's very frank. He, uh, he's an emotional centerpiece of all this because it was tough for him to lose his job, even though back in 1999, uh, you know, uh, Ernie Adams is saying he's taking too many hits. He moves around like a wildebeest. I remember when Dan Shaughnessy said in the Globe that uh, Drew Bledsoe moved around the pocket like a giraffe on stilts. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line yeah i'm, I'm with you on drew we had him on the pod last year he was awesome he, he's, oh, he's, he's an awesome guy i think he was really he comes across as really a sympathetic character in the whole thing but i really like talking with drew i really liked him in the documentary as well i liked having his family on there having his wife on mm-hmm. there was because that was a scary situation of course that drew went through it wasn't just like a normal injury i mean that guy was in a really bad position when it comes to that. All right, Fitzy, last thing before we get to the draft here. Speaking of drafts, mm. look at that transition, man. That was easy. Okay, number man, three. Man, look at it's, it's like you cut your teeth in market 10 and then made your way to the national scene. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so number three pick, are you all in that they should be drafting a quarterback or are you considering other things? Oh, I, man, I, 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 would, I would prefer... I would, all things considered, no, seeing the way that they have established this coaching staff, looking the way that they're setting up their front office, um, reading what I have about Elliot Wolf. There's a great piece last week from Chris Price in the Boston Globe where he spoke to a bunch of people in Elliot Wolf's formative years, including his dad, Ron Wolf, who famously ran the Packers for so long. I'm getting the feeling that Elliot Wolf in this front office is going to be all about best talent, best player available. Um, you know, um, uh, 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 of all the fun things I heard in the tailgates this past year about the Patriots and the way they were falling apart and the mistakes Belichick had made in the draft. And, you know, I'm I'm somebody who believes the Patriots didn't want to lose Belichick, the coach, but they were so want to get rid of Belichick, the GM, that they sacrificed Bill Belichick, the coach, in dismissing him a few weeks ago. Um, funniest thing someone told me was, you know, geez, when it comes to the draft, I just wish somebody could go up to Belichick and tell him to just hit Yahoo auto draft. Stop overthinking this shit, please. Just and it's right. Like, how many times did he like prove like I'm smarter than you guys? I'm gonna take someone you'll know, like Cole Strange, Nikhil Harry. Like, these aren't first round picks. Don't do this. Just take talent best available. And I think that's what Elliot Wolf and company, and the Wolf and uh, or as I call them, the Wolf of Ball Street. I think that's what these guys are gonna do, Barrett. They're gonna take best available. And while you know you you can't win games without some someone throwing the ball in the most important position in four major American sports, I I would almost say take the highest floor guy you can, and then figure it out as you go. So if they take Maserati Marv at three, I can live with that. I could live with Marvin Harrison Jr. And then if there's another quarterback they identify later and they get a dependable veteran for Alex Van Pelt to work with, I'm fine with that. My belief they trade back, and no one wants to hear that. No. They might trade with They'll blame uh, Bill. The fans will blame Bill. Belichick's yeah, in course. the war room. <laughs> he still left that friggin' stink of trade back there. And now they're all do- they have the, the Stockholm syndrome. They're in love with him. Um, I could see them trading with the Falcons at eight. 
um, if the Falcons, let's say, don't get like a Justin Fields, if he becomes available from uh, the Bears and they go with Caleb Williams first overall, or maybe Minnesota as well, because they don't pay all that guaranteed money to Kirk Cousins. Uh, and if you can get like an extra second this year and a first next year, when you have needs all over the line at tight end, wide receiver, just and obviously quarterback as well. This, this is not a one-year ki- uh, probably kicker as well, although you can see, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen all the footage this week of like Baring- Baringer and uh, Ryland working out with Nick Novak and they're they're like make it they're doing that thing that you know people like Andy Hart love to hate, which is like, oh good, you're showing me how awesome you are when it's warm outside in February when there's nobody in your face. Let's see if you can actually bring that to the swirling winds of Gillette in November. Yeah, it's like when Ben Simmons shoots jump shots and he's like hitting threes when nobody's around, and then when he gets to the game, he never takes a jump shot. It's something like that. See, I'm all in with the quarterback at three, and I understand the logic that you're putting out there in terms of, hey, you can get a lot for the third overall pick or you take Marvin Harrison. My concern with it is, well, what if the quarterback's not there next year, right? Now, Mm -hmm. maybe you can say, hey, early in the second round, you take Bo Nix or Michael Penix if you really like one of those guys, right? But what if it's what? Shador Sanders, but hey, you don't have the first pick. Maybe Shador Sanders goes number one overall. The Quinn Ewers, the Drew Allers, the Carson Becks of the world. What if those guys aren't as good as the Drake Mays or the Jaden Daniels, because I like both the quarterbacks. So that's my concern, because I've heard this the argument like Matt Miller, draft analyst, put out there like the Patriots aren't quarterback ready. That's the way he described it. They're not good enough to draft a quarterback right now. And I would look at it and say, well, if you draft the quarterback, the rest of the shit can come together after that. Right. Like and I'm, I'm not the biggest Trevor Lawrence guy after the down year that he had. But like Trevor Lawrence went to a horrible situation with Urban Meyer, not a lot of talent. Then they started putting talent around him. They made the playoffs two years ago and they ended up having that comeback against the Chargers and all that. So I just feel like right. if the quarterbacks, if you think it's a franchise quarterback, I just don't know how you pass up on him. Like you can be you can get away with being not great at a lot of other positions. You can't with quarterback unless you're basically the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, who lucked into the ultimate situation, taking the last guy in the draft and having him work out better than the dude that they mortgaged their future for, who sucked out loud and now is just toiling away in Dallas. That's the kind of thing that should set a franchise back five years, but instead it was barely a blip on San Francisco's radar because they've drafted so well, because they've nailed all of their picks, because they've gone best available and they've been great in free agency. And they've let guys go and replace them with better parts along the way. Like John Lynch, they should have a wing at the museum or teach a symposium at the Hall of Fame on how good John Lynch and Adam Peters and Shanahan have been, not at closing out games that matter most, but at drafting and constructing a team. If I know that Jaden Daniels can start a year from now and is going to be an absolute machine and he's going to give you two thirds of what he gave you at LSU with his legs, with his deep ball accuracy. You know, who's on a loaded offensive team with a good offensive-minded coach. That's all well and good. Uh, I, I I don't know if I love any of these guys except for Caleb Williams. And then I feel okay-ish about a lot of the guys in the second round and later. So I, I, I need to see. I, there's so much this team needs. I know you need a quarterback. I know it doesn't start. It begins and ends with a quarterback. But there's just so much that this team needs right now that, like, if somebody makes you the offer you can't refuse and you're not in love with those guys the way you are some other players and suddenly – I take a flyer on a quarterback later and then I get another offensive lineman and I can get Troy Franklin and another good receiver in the process as well because I made the move back. I think it's a a chance worth taking. Yeah, now that we're still a little ways away from the draft, right now I would be 
irate if they don't take a quarterback number three. I guess like on draft night, if they took Marvin Harrison Jr., I could talk myself into it. Like I could figure out a way to be like, hey, this is actually good, but I want the quarterback really bad. I want them to, I really like man. I really like Jaden Daniels. So we'll see what they decide to do. We'll see. I mean, Elliot Wolf's yep. first draft pick. Think about that. As the guy running the Patriots operation is like one of the most important picks that this team is going to have, if not the most important pick this team has in the next decade. Is there, is there, let me ask you, uh, before we get into our ultimate draft, is there a quarterback that can be had via the free agency market that you would feel comfortable with guiding the ship for the next, let's say, two years while a uh, a prospect is drafted and you know honed and refined by Alex Van Pelt, who may not be the sexiest offensive coordinator by any stretch of the imagination, but probably considering that he's been around the league as long as he has and actually played the positions, probably pretty good at grooming a QB. I mean... Did some pretty nice work last year working with five guys, for Christ's sakes, in Cleveland. Yeah, well, for me, I don't if the Patriots are in a position where the roster was loaded, I'd say, hey, go ahead and get Kirk Cousins, right? Because maybe he's the piece that puts you off the top over the top, kind of like when the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford. And I'm not comparing the two players. I'm just saying it's like, OK, now Goff has obviously been much better since he went to Detroit, but they felt like, hey, we just need a better guy at the quarterback position. So Stafford made sense for them to go after him. It was funny. Remember like Stafford, he didn't want to go to the Patriots. Like I think it was partially because of uh, Matt Patricia was here at the time. But so if I'm a ready-made team, for example, Atlanta, I referenced that earlier with Bill, I would go after Cousins if I was Atlanta. But if I'm the Patriots, I don't think Cousins sort of puts me over the top and makes me a contender once again. Trading for fields is not something that's very appealing for me because he's already getting sort of expensive here. You're going to have to make a decision on him. He's the same draft as Mac Jones and none of the other guys like, hey, if you want to bring in Jacoby Brissett to bring a back, be a backup, or if you don't feel comfortable starting the rookie right away, okay, but I'm not excited about going down that path. I, I'm not into any of the free agency or the trades unless something like some something wild happened and some like premier quarterbacks like I wanted to get traded, you know, then I changed my mind on that, but I don't right. foresee that being the case. Yeah, I don't think Baker Mayfield will be showing up in Foxborough anytime soon, except maybe unless the Buccaneers are playing. I don't think they let him get away after no. the season he had. No, too bad. Yeah, they can't. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, Fitzy and I will give our draft the top 10 Boston athletes since the turn of the century. We'll do it next. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. And I'm looking at this Celtics-Knicks game coming up on Saturday night at the Garden. Should be a good one. I'll go with the Celts on the money line. Porzingis returning to MSG for 20 points. Jalen, 20 points. And Drew Holiday, two made threes. So there's a nice little same game parlay for you. That's $150 back if your bet doesn't win. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Must be 21-plus in presidents like states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Nick Fitzy Stevens is with us. So, Fitzy, here's what we're going to do here. We're going to do a draft, the top 10 Boston athletes since the year 2000. You are the guest, so I'm going to give you the top pick in this thing. And I know that 
You may go in a certain direction. I know you really want a Mac Jones, so I'm going to leave that spot available for you at number one. You can take Mac Jones, and then I'll have the second and the third pick, and then we'll go back and forth from there. Okay, so I give the floor to you, Fitzy, with your number one pick. I know there was only a 3% chance you thought I would say this, but with the first pick, give me Justin Rohrwasser, kicker out of... (laughs) (laughs) Bill should never draft kickers if he gets a job again. I I forgot about Rohrwasser. Oh, God. What a disaster. What a debacle. Oh, my God. I can't believe I was on the air when that... He didn't even make it out of camp. I was going to say, he didn't even make it out of training camp, right? Yeah. No, Nick, just, Nick, the legend of Nick Folk only grew stronger thanks to the likes of Rohrwasser for God. Oh, what a disaster. I remember a doing a show at EI when he was drafted. And then it's like, oh, they drafted a kicker. I'm like, oh, great. This is awesome. And then it's like, yeah, there's a lot more to this kicker. <laughs> there's a lot I, more I was on the air with Ken Laird at the time when he was drafted. And I had to look up and I was like, oh, man, this guy's got a cannon for a leg. That's great. They need someone like that to kick through the swirling winds of, oh, hold on a second. There's a bunch of people saying that he's a. Uh, Oh, got dubious past, curious choices. Three, okay, all right. This guy's not going to be with us long, and sure enough, by August, see ya. All right, the the ultimate no brainer in the history of no brainers for any region, any city, any team, any draft, any anything. Give me uh, the number one play by play analyst for the Fox Sports Network in their NFL presentation for the next ten years. Someone who carries himself with as much handsomeness. Uh, surgically enhanced gracefulness and more uh, these days. I'll go goat. Give me number one, Tom Brady. Yeah, you got to go Brady number one. You think he's had work done to his face? Uh, just a little. I mean, if you watch David Nugent's home video footage in episode one Crazy. of the Dynasty, and you see, I mean, it doesn't even look like the same person. No, it Not looks like close. a dude that had just come out of college and was drinking a bunch of beers and having pizza late night like most college students do or Chinese food. Looked like he had never thought about his diet in his life before to what he is now. It's wild. Yeah, it's, it, it is. And he this pudgy little frat boy who still had game to becoming basically by the, the tail end of his time with the Patriots when he's going to the Met Gala with Giselle Bunchen and throwing footballs to supermodels on mahogany boats in a bay in Monaco. Like Tom Brady became an international superstar, literally one of the most famous people in the world. But still, you know, the quarterback of my favorite football team, my favorite athlete of all time, and the only other human being I would have considered naming my firstborn son after, which I did. <laughs> do you have a, because I know there's so many, but do you have one favorite Brady moment? Like if you had um, to narrow it down to one or one game, maybe? Uh, my favorite Brady moment is still, um, the the pass to Kenbrell Tompkins is probably like my favorite non-Super Bowl Brady moment of all time. Um, oh, that, that's my that, fa- that's my favorite Boston day. Is, that's that's, oh, that's the greatest day in, that's the the greatest day in the history of Boston. Like that, that, that day, that day in October of 2013, Ken Brell Tompkins right into Ortiz hitting the Grand Slam and bringing them back in game two against the Tiger. You'll never get, there needs to be a documentary. Like I, I, I should talk to Matthew Hamachek. We, you, we should do a ringer documentary on the greatest day in Boston sports history. That was un- effing believable and i screamed so loud when ortiz hit the grand slam i woke up said then eight month old baby boy thomas my wife crossed the living room where me and my my former roommate were a little a little uh lubed up as tom would say hooting and hollering grabbed the baby and said you woke him up congratulations on the game you can put him back to bed <laughs> yeah that was a great day 
I, I guess oh. I'm being slightly hyperbolic when I say it's my favorite day ever because they've no, won no, a no, bunch no, no, of Super Bowls. No. The Celtics won a title. Bar- Gro- Barrett, growing up on the South Shore, like yeah, I'm a, since I'm just a, a tad more sports fan experience than you. Um, I uh, I remember the days where my old man used to like it was a really special day, and both a Patriots and Red Sox game were on that were worth watching. Back before picture in picture, or where you could have a laptop and a TV going on, my old man used to get the TV out of the kitchen. And when he'd move it from the kitchen behind it would be the clean wallpaper because the rest of the wallpaper had cigarette stains all over it. And he'd move it into the living room to our TV den. And so he would stack the kitchen TV on the den TV. And we'd have like, like in 2003, when um, uh, Ortiz hit the double off of Keith Folk in the eighth inning in game four against the A's. Plus the Patriots had a huge game against the Titans. We had both of those going on, like those kind of glory days, are are just the little bits along the way that we inadvertently overlooked that made that 20 year run so special. Yeah. Well, the Red Sox are right there this year. So maybe you can do that during the season <laughs> with them and the Celtics. And but the by the way, I don't want to be the guy that says it, but I'll also be the guy that says it. Have you noticed that ever since you, ever since you went national and stopped doing the Red Sox pre and post game show, the Sox have sucked out loud on Rye. I'll take credit for that. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm just, you heard it here first, folks. Barrett, the secret ingredient to Alex Cora's Red Sox. Full throttle, my ass. <laughs> I'm the missing piece. Okay, so I'll go to my number two here, and I'm going to go with David Ortiz. 13 through 60, or excuse me, 2003 through 2016. Most home runs in Major League, or second, second most home runs in Major League Baseball. Third in terms of RBIs. Third in slugging percentage. Third in win probability added. And he didn't play defense, and he was third in win probability added, which is phenomenal. But the moments, right? I mean, the reason Ortiz is number two is because he has the peak, but he also has the longevity. Because Ortiz was the best player in 2013 when the Red Sox won the World Series. He had the two famous walk-offs, of course, against the Yankees. We just talked about the grand slam he hit in game two against a Tigers team that was loaded. Verlander, Scherzer, Cabrera, that team should have never lost to the Red Sox. And by the way, Joaquin Benoit doesn't make that pitch to Ortiz. They probably don't because they take a two to nothing lead. And then Ortiz in the World Series goes 11 of 16 and has a 760 on base percentage. Seven times Silver Slugger, World Series MVP, ALCS MVP, three World Series. So he is number two on my list without question because of the multiple championships and he factored in to all those championships. He's one of the best sluggers of his generation. So I had Ortiz number two. And then for number three, not can I just say, far- Can I just say quickly about David yeah, Ortiz, yeah. if I can jump in for of one course. second. And it, uh, a guy, a, a guy, uh, he literally just hit. That's all he did. And the Minnesota Twins, you want to talk about sliding door moments. Uh, if they just paid the extra $500,000, they would have kept him after 2002. I remember he ripped home runs off of Pedro. He always hit well against the Sox when he was with the Twins the worst mistake a franchise has ever made letting him go for half a million dollars but he's one of like what only two dhs that's in the hall of fame as well but he is like bill james always said there's no such thing as clutch well i dare say sir if we could ever quantify something that is unquantifiable like clutch then you should probably draw the blood of david ortiz and see if you can figure out a way to find out what oh you know the dna of it or the midi chlorians of his particular jedi powers because he was always good when it mattered most. And in a Boston Red Sox history where so many people would compete to be on the Mount Rushmore of Boston sports, if you had one person for each team, and it probably should be Ted Williams, considering he's the greatest hitter ever 
542 home runs, best batting average ever, uh, th- flew in two freaking wars and still put up all those stats. David Ortiz would be competing to be with him because of what he delivered for the Red Sox when it mattered most to the fans after almost 100 years of futility. Yeah, and two gave the speech after the marathon bombing and they went on and of course won the world series that year. And remember he said, this is our fucking city. Like that was just an awesome. This is moment. our We're fucking t- city. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he gave the speech in the dugout during the world series, like firing everybody up. He was awesome. Oh. By the way, I have ESPN on in the background right now. And I just saw Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts having a conversation because they're about to play in a spring training game. So I want to throw up right now as we make this list. Although the Bogarts thing, it looks like they've uh, escaped a long-term contract with that one as he's moving to second base. But the Mookie one, maybe he gets on this list later on. But this, I almost want to throw up now that we're going down memory lane. And I'm just a couple of seconds, just just a couple of second basemen having a spring training chat. That's all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the amazing thing about Mookie. It's like, oh. That was so cool at Fenway Park, except it wasn't because it could have happened for the Red Sox when in the middle of the game, they're like, hey, Mookie, why don't you come in from right field and play second? It's just uh, that still hurts. But anyway, my number three on the list because of longevity and because of peak is Paul Pierce. Ten time All-Star, four All-NBAs. And of course, he won the finals MVP in 2008. And they won their only championship since Larry Bird with Paul Pierce. And Garnett, I would argue, was the best player on the team throughout the season. He was the defensive player of the year. And this is kind of hurting my argument. But he's never here if Paul Pierce isn't a member of the Celtics organization. So he brought that all together. And most importantly, if you go back to Game 7 against the Cavaliers, the 41. It was him and LeBron going back and Mm -hmm. forth. That was one of the epic games. 41 for Pierce. You had 45 for LeBron. The rest of the starters in that game had, what, 31 points? I'm trying to do the math real quick here. P.J. Brown had 10 off the bench. But Pierce outscored the rest of the Celtics in terms of the uh, starters. Ray Allen only had four points. Like, Ray Lowkey wasn't really good until the finals of that playoff mm-hmm. run. He, like, really he was struggled. He so good in L.A. Run. Remember how good he was in Game 5 in L.A.? Yeah, just knocking down threes left and right. And I will say this, as somebody that grew up with a Celtics team that wasn't very good— We had Pierce at least, right? And Pierce Mm -hmm. made a run to the conference finals with Antoine Walker and had some big games. Remember in a series, he outplayed Allen Iverson and they ended up losing to the Nets that year. And later on, they'd lose to Philly the next year. But Pierce made basketball at least relevant in the early 2000s after they went through. I mean, and of course he played for Patino, but the Patino thing was such a mess. So he deserves credit for that for at least, hey, he was taking the team to the playoffs. I know eventually it got really bad in the 2007 area when they started to tank and they were sitting Pierce down. But Pierce was awesome, man, and he did it for so long. He was our guy for 15 years, 15 years. And he was good right away. I know that goes into the 90s, but it's, by the time he's a third-year player in the NBA, he's an all-star, and that was in the 2000s. So I have those are my one and or two and three. After you picked Brady, I go Ortiz and Pierce because I do think, well, I'll let you go because I don't want to give too much away about who I have for because maybe that may turn it's things a, in your direction. It's such a tough pick because one— one was a st- one was a centerpiece of uh, multiple championship runs. One kickstarted the second half in my eyes of a dynasty, and the other one is the guy who the guy who basically led his particular team out of the. You know, honestly, because of the feel, even if some of the best games that he played in happened right before the turn of the century, because of how much he meant for the city, and because of how integrally he's tied he's tied to Boston still, and meant to the two thousand four idiots. 
I would be being disloyal to my fandom and my personal history if I didn't go number four with Pedro Martinez. And wow, I know that's a huge that's a now that some may say that's a reach, especially considering how unhittable he was in 98 and 99, uh, 90, 99, still the greatest game I've ever seen pitched by anybody was that 17 strikeout performance against the New York Yankees uh, in that particular summer where he still thrown 97 in the in the ninth inning. Um, and of course, he had nothing to offer except six innings of shutout ball with nothing over 80 miles an hour in that epic comeback against the Indians in the playoffs where Troy O'Leary decided to become Roy Hobbs. But Pedro Martinez, you know, <laughs> like everything, everything Red Sox doesn't become everything Red Sox. There's no Manny. There's no idiots. There's no because Manny is signed later. Um, there's no any there's no anything without Dan Duquette pulling off one of the greatest trades in history. And again, I know this happened right before the turn of the century and acquiring Pedro Martinez. Everything in Boston sucked. Everything Boston sports-wise sucked out loud. The Patriots weren't running. Pete Carroll's going to get fired. The Celtics weren't very good. The Bruins had nothing to write home about. And then Pedro came to town, and he individually, single-handedly turned everything around and made it a, a parade, a destination, a party, and the place to be. And for just want for just wanting to be the guy, for being the centerpiece of it all in 2004, yes, we owe it a lot to Ortiz but um, in 2004, but... Pedro's the man. And for and on the legacy alone, I probably could have snuck him in later in the draft, but like I couldn't risk losing him to you. So I'll go Pedro for. Yeah, Pedro to me is one of I'm trying to think like if, obviously Brady is number one, like must see. But Pedro may have been number two so far in my lifetime. Just every mm -hmm. day that he was starting, you would want to watch the game. Because he was just you knew he was going to be electric. He He's so smart, too. Like he knew, OK, the ump's giving me. I can go a little bit outside here and I'm just going to keep throwing it air and until they realize they got to swing at that pitch. But to your point, though, like even 2000 to 2004, he was a Cy Young winner in 2000. He, of course, he won the Triple Crown, as we mentioned earlier before that. But he led Major League Baseball in ERA in 2000, 2002, 2003. So this is still his peak. And he was the strikeout leader in two of those years, too. And of course, the World Series and during that four-year stretch, he was second in war among starting pitchers to only Randy Johnson had the number one ERA, second in strikeout rate. So, and by the way, does Schilling, and that's a whole different conversation, but does Schilling want to come here? Like, to your point about starting this thing, do all these guys want to come here if it isn't for Pedro sort of making the Red Sox cool again? Like, so I, I that's a good pick. I do like, I'm a, kind of surprised that you put him there, but it's a good pick. Like, I would have certainly picked Pedro if you didn't pick him. So, that brings it to my next pick, which this is a tough one for me because do I go with the guy that had an amazing peak and you could argue is the best tight end in NFL history or do I go with the guy that was incredibly consistent for a team that also during the stretch did win a Stanley Cup in 2011 and played mm. 19 years for the Bruins? That's what's making this difficult to me. So do I go with Gronk? Or do I go with Bergeron? Obviously, there's a lot of other candidates on this list. But the thing about this is the longevity of Bergeron, 19 years. I'm going to go with Bergeron. And this is not an easy decision for me because Gronk is one of my favorite athletes of all time. But when you have six Selkies and you are the ultimate leader and even your final year, he was still one of the best players in the NHL last season. Like, hell, the Bruins could use him. Right now, I'm going to give Bergeron the slight edge over Gronk just because of the longevity. And here's the other reason I say this is 
And I know Tim Thomas, of course, won the consmite. Tim Thomas was incredible that year, of course, that they won the Cup, set the record for saves in the postseason, set the record for saves in the Stanley Cup final. So many, so many guys were so great. Like Big Z is incredible. Yeah. People forget about how awesome Dennis Seidenberg was. My God, what a like I talk about. He's like a beast, the, man. He's he was. Up. You know who he was? I'm gonna give you Seidenberg was the Roman Pfeiffer of the the Boston Bruins, like a mm. huge piece that people don't talk about. But every player would tell you like, oh, dude, that guy got he got stuff done. Well, and Krejci was great during that run to the cup. Krejci was awesome in that playoff run. But here's the thing that I've now done is you took Brady number one overall. I've taken the best players from the three other teams during the era since 2000. So that's mm-hmm. sort of that's sort of why I leaned Bergeron over Gronk, because if I gave you Bergeron, then you have the best Patriot and the best Bruin during that run. So I went with Bergeron there. And like Pasta, like the thing about Bergeron is, of course, when he played, he wasn't always the best player. Like recently it's been Pasta, but Pasta, it's crazy to me. Pasta is in his 10th year. I did not realize what? that Wait, until the what? other- he yeah, is? because he well, he, cause he started playing when he was 18. Like you forget yeah. that he came up this right. early and- it's just crazy that he's already in year 10. He's still in his, he's only 27, right? So he's still in his prime, but I get, so I'm going to go, yes, I'm going to go, I guess you could okay. go Chara too. He won the Norris yep. Trophy and of course was the captain for so long, but I, I would go, if I had to pick a Bruin from that era, I'm going Bergeron. So I take Bergeron with my third pick. All right. So now you're telling me I have to decide between Gronk and... Yeah, I may not put a Bruin on here only because I don't want to. F- There's nothing in the rules that we're making up as we go that says you have to have one player from each team, unless you have to have one player from each team. But no, you don't. Th- those ground rules would have been established before the draft. Yeah, I'm going to go Manny. Hmm. Uh, no, I meant Gronk. I'm sorry. No, I looked at. No, I'll go Gronk. Sorry. I looked at Manny's name. I'm going to go Gronk. I just I think I think when you are um, I'm not doing two socks back to back. I'm going to go Gronk because. When you are, I think, still inarguably the greatest at your individual position and you make that much of a difference. And like I said earlier, you are the player that I think because of where the Patriots stole him and how perfect, how absolutely perfect he was for Brady's game and the style of football that Bill Belichick wanted to play. He got Mark Bavaro with elite speed and hands. He got Nate Solder, who could run a four or five and outleap everybody in the end zone. He was a left tackle, a right tackle, a tight end, a slot receiver, a badass, and the vibes. I mean, he was so Boston. He's from Buffalo, and he sounds so Western New York. But, I mean, Gronk just became like, I mean, everybody, if you didn't have a number 12 jersey in Boston already, and you probably had Brady's home away and the silver alternate as well, you ha- you wore a Gronk jersey. Like, a Gronk jersey became, like, party formal. You could wear it to weddings and funerals. He soyed Fiesta, man. He was everyone's vibe. Uh, I just I just think because of his legend, legendary status, the three Super Bowls, I know he only played in two of them, but how good he was, what he meant to Brady and Belichick and to all the fans and how much people still love him to this day. Uh, you you got to go big 87 right there. Yeah, it's a great pick. And that's why it took me so long to make the decision over Bergeron or Gronk. And Worthy the struggle. Thing, yeah, that, that was it. That was tough. Three, uh, four-time All-Pro with the Patriots, and of course, like led the league in touchdowns for a tight end is crazy. Still, is the record for most tight end, my, most touchdowns by a tight end. Twenty eleven had seventeen. Do yeah. you realize he still has eighteen more receiving touchdowns than Kelsey? That's kind of crazy to me. Wow. That he, Does he, he really? 
Yeah, I mean, Kelsey obviously has him in yards and all that, but it's wild. Yeah, Travis he, Kelsey versus Gronk is the dumbest debate ever. Yeah, you're it's, a Kelsey you know, guy, right? Oh, it's 100%. Yeah, of course. He's a giant, like, he's what Gesicki should be or should have been or would always want to hope to be. It's a different kind of tight end. Like, uh, Welker and Moss both played wide receiver. You know, you could. which one was more important to the Patriots? Moss, because of his downfield threat. But, like, Welker's the one who got stuff done for all those years. They're like, but they play totally different positions, yet they're qualified under the title. Same with Kelsey versus Gronk. They shouldn't be compared. Do you think Kelsey can block and throw people out the club the way that Gronk did during his prime? Hell no. No, I no. I mean, Gronk was on another level. That's why he couldn't play as long because of all the physicality he put onto other guys. But what was the uh, what's the commercial he has? It's so awkward. The Gronk commercial. Oh, my God. Great. What the hell? Gronk's whole thing about trying to get discount mil military insurance uh, yeah, with USAA. Is... Who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> they did that two years ago and they ran it back. I'm like, this, I know. This is, but and now it's it seems so like bizarre. Gronk acts like he's in on the joke now or something like, hey, we've read the comments on YouTube and we've decided to make it a joke about how bad these commercials are. Yeah, well, guess what? They're still pretty effing bad. <laughs> It's so weird. I'm like, dude, every time I see that element. And I still like maintain, I still maintain. Here's one of these. Here's one of these. Just let me rant for 10 second moments. If Bernard Pollard, who, when you mention his name in my house, is a dollar in the swear jar. If he hadn't hip drop tackled Gronk in the AFC championship at Gillette, where Billy Cundiff misses the kick and they go to Super Bowl 46 only to lose a heartbreaker. If Gronk's in that game, the Patriots throttle Eli and the Giants in Super Bowl 46 and get their rightful revenge. As it is, he went out there as a decoy and got, you know, mossed by Chase Blackburn on a deep ball. He gave it his all oh, like, God, oh, I God. About that. He still oh. almost caught the, the Hail Mary. I know on one ankle. Yeah. Damn it. Damn. Yeah, that, that was tough. That was that was a very although like, I mean, nothing is going to top the 07 loss. That was that was pretty tough. Although I thought coming into the game with the health of Gronk, I'm like, yeah, this Patriots team is. They had like one of the worst defenses ever to ever make a Super Bowl that year. Slater and Edelman were playing safety in that game. I forgot about that. Sterling Moore was our top quarterback. Come on now. <laughs> that's a great pull. And that's sort of like they had this and it'll be covered in the documentary, but we can talk about it because it happened. Like they had this dry spell in terms of the draft, like sort of after the 2007 team. And then they hit on a bunch of guys, whether it be Devin McCourty, Gronk and all the... A couple of years after that, it was James White, right? So they really, like, Bill had a dry spell, then he got hot again, and then unfortunately he got really cold again. But that that was like, they really needed to hit on the draft at that point, and they did. And obviously Gronk's the second, you could argue, the second most important Patriot during that time. You could argue Edelman, too, because Edelman played mm -hmm. in all and won three Super Bowls. Gronk, I know he has three Super Bowl rings. Or actually, no, he has four, right? Because he won one with Tampa Bay. But Gronk, of course, missed the... 2016 Super Bowl, the comeback against the Falcons, which is that makes that even more amazing that they won. Marty Sor Marty Soros did some dirty work in those playoffs as well. He was excellent. yeah drew the drew the flag late. It, yep, to get set, set up, up set up Sweet Feet, your guy on the on the one. The rest is history. Yeah. Tossed to White, he's in. Patriots win the Super Bowl. Brady has his fifth. Yep. Okay, so now this becomes a little bit more difficult because do I go another Bruin? Because you think about the longevity, Chara, 14 years. Marshawn, he's in year 15 right now, and he's now the new captain of the team. Like, So Marshawn deserves consideration. Or do I go with the high peak? And maybe the second or the third, because Pedro was only four years, the second or the third highest peak of this whole thing. And I think I'm leaning in that direction. And I know maybe this may 
not come across to maybe not all Red Sox fans love this because he's not on the team anymore. But I am going, believe it or not, with Mookie. Six no. years. I, I am going with Mookie wow. for a couple of reasons. That's here. your for, Gale Sayers pick. Wow. First of all, he is the best because obviously I didn't watch prior to like the late 1990s. He's the best player I've ever seen in a Red Sox uniform. Okay. Excluding, mm-hmm. like, I'm talking about position players. Obviously, pitchers and position players, different stratospheres. Mookie's six years that he spent with the Red Sox. So it's long enough. He also won an MVP, which how many other guys on this list can say that, right? In terms of actually winning an MVP with the Boston team. He hit 346 in his MVP season. He had a 438 on base percentage. He had... 10.4 wins above replacement. That is insane. First in Major League Baseball. Four straight All-Star games. Three Silver Sluggers. Four Gold Gloves. Two-time Defensive Player of the Year. Mookie was the best. Like, he was must-see TV. I talk about Pedro. The plays that he could make in the outfield. What he did, like, the at-bat that comes to mind. Do you remember the J.A. Happ at-bat that he had against the Blue Jays where he fouled off a million pitches? It was like a 13-pitch at-bat. And he hits Is this the, the Grand run. Slam? Yes. When X yes, says, and then it's Eckersley like it's time to party. Yes. yes. So I Epic. know, like you, you can look at Manny, you can look at Chara, you can look at Marshawn, you can even look at Kevin Garnett, who was part of the Celtics championship team, of course, in 2008. I referenced him earlier, but I just think I would be mad at myself if Mookie wasn't on one of our lists because of how good he was. And I get it's only six years, but he was basically a top three player in the game for that six-year period and also got to the mountaintop winning a World Series. Now, that playoff run, Mookie was not great during the playoff run. He did make the catch, the controversial catch against the Astros. But the reason that you had the greatest Red Sox team of all time, it was a stacked team, but the best player on that team was by far... Mookie Betts and the combination of him and JD. I mean, that year was just awesome. But I'm putting Mookie on the list. He's too good to say. He's still like, how many guys are better than Mookie right now? What's the list, Uh, Otani? Not many. Acuna, uh, maybe? Like, I think you could have made an argument for Mookie to win the MVP over Acuna last year. But it's, I got to put Mookie for. I'm putting Mookie. He's the fourth pick of my draft. I I can't go without putting Mookie on this list. And also because of this Fitzy. He was so fun for me to watch. Like the Gronk pick, like how Gronk was so fun to watch. Sure, sure, sure. Mookie's that for me. Yeah, and and his best baseball was in a Dodgers uniform when he hit about 17 home runs on a Sunday uh, against the Red Sox this past past summer. I was at the FanDuel Sportsbook, a friendly sponsor of all of our pods, uh, at at Mohegan Sun, and I watched it, and I was just like, you got to be shitting me. Look at this. That was heartbreaking. The guy is putting on. I, I was thrilled by it, actually, because it was sort of like, this is what you get for going cheap. This is what you get for saying Fenway Sports Group is now divesting themselves of spending as if Red Sox Nation needs to win another World Series. We've given you four. You people should be happy with the cake we've let you eat. It was embarrassing. It was disgusting. And it was wonderful all at once. And Marcus Mookie Betts is a spectacular guy, a spectacular player, an entity unto himself. And now he's going to go from one of the best outfielders of the last 50 years to probably one of the best second basemen of the last 50 years on a team that is going to be, I hope the Dodgers win 120 games I hope they sweep every postseason series. Their their expected win total is 103 and a half games. I'll be banging the over uh, like the drum I bang uh, when I don't want to go to work and just want to play all day. Uh, I, I they're going to be an app. They're going to be spectacular and great guy, great pick. 
tough pill to swallow uh, only because I, I guess I can't do it mostly just because I think the return the Red Sox got in the trade was so awesome. Said no one ever. Um, I can't pick Mookie, but good for you. He means more to you. That's a good pick for you. I'm going to dip back into the Red Sox machine on this one. I'm going to go with the name I inadvertently said before in the sake of being expedient. I'll take Manny eighth overall and two World Series, World Series MVP in 2004, although it probably should have gone to Keith Folk because the guy pitched his arm out pretty much permanently uh, after what he did for the Red Sox in the postseason that year. Gave up one run, but still, nonetheless, Manny from 2001 to 2008. Listen to these totals. Uh, 2001, 42 ding-dongs, 125 ribeyes. Next year, 33, 107, 37, 104, 43, 130, 45, 144 in 2005, 35, 102. He dips in 2007, only is 20 and 88, and then has 37 and 121 the next year uh, as he gets traded and kind of goes off the deep end a little bit. And Jason Bay comes back to town and they lose in the ALCS to Tampa. But Manny, again, one of those vibes, one of those party people, he and Johnny Dame in the face of the idiots, Manny being Manny, an absurd human being, uniquely Boston, almost had two Hall of Fame careers in one. His numbers in Cleveland alone are almost good enough to get him in the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, the numbers in Boston are ridiculous. He won't get into it because of the fact that baseball is holier than thou and uh, baseball Hall of Fame writers and voters have it shoved up their rear about steroids, drugs, and refuse to acknowledge the tattered past of the game that they all needed so desperately to pull itself out of the rating slump it was in after the strike of 94. Manny was awesome. He was he and Ortiz together made for one of the most dynamic duos in Boston sports history. Um, yeah, I'm very comfortable. I got pay, I got Pedro and Manny and Gronk and Brady on my team. Like I have so many vi- I have so much I have I have two sets of besties basically on my team right now who meant so much to the past the those 20 years. Uh, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, you've had a really good draft. Though the one thing I'll say too about Manny, sexiest right-handed swing of all time. His swing smooth, was smooth, smoothest, smoothest right. If yeah. Ken Griffey had the prettiest left-handed swing, Manny had the Manny and Mike Piazza have the smoothest right-handed swings. And Manny, just like think about think about that home run. I think your boss has it as his avatar on yeah. on Twix, uh, as I call it. Just Manny with his arms raised after he hits a seven hundred and twenty-foot home run off of K Rod. And by the way. I know Manny hit a home run once that they said like, oh, it was just one foot short of the longest home run ever hit at Fenway. Of course, that by Ted Williams. Bullshit. No way. Get out of here. I wouldn't wow. buy that from the I wouldn't buy that from the sausage guy. The furthest home runs ever hit at Fenway were by Manny Manny Ramirez. It's just that they want to leave it in the hands of somebody more pure and American like Ted Ted Williams. Yeah, I still like that. That seat is so far away, man. Like that is an absolute bomb. To hit it that far where Ted Williams' seat is at Fenway Park. Yeah. Okay. My old okay. man was one of the t- 150,000 people, even though they only had 10,000 at the park that day. My dad was one of like the 2 million who said like, oh, yeah, Nico, I was there for that day. What an awesome game that was. You weren't there, Dad. <laughs> okay, so my final pick, I could go with another Bruin. I could put Tim Thomas on there, but the peak is not as long. I could go with the longevity of Chara, the longevity of Marshawn. Or I could go now because I feel like you got a lot of peak guys. I may have to go with a peak guy here. And the peak for this guy was not very long in a Celtics uniform, but he did help deliver a championship. Wow. So I'm going with Kevin Garnett because, okay, it's really six years here. He was awesome in 08, 09 he was even better. And then, of course, he went down with a knee injury, was never the same. 
But Kevin Garnett made the Celtics the best defensive team in the NBA. They, he won the Defensive Player of the Year. He completely changed the culture here. He was, even though Pierce was the guy that was here longer, Garnett was sort of the vocal leader of that team. And he made Celtics basketball along with Pierce relevant again. And when I look at the rest of the list, there's a lot of other guys, like Edelman, 11 years, but really was never like a Pro Bowl type guy, had the big moments and all that. Garnett was the best defensive player in the NBA for a year and a half when he was with the Celtics until the injury. And even in 2010, he gutted out on a bad knee. They made it back to the NBA Finals. And as recently as 2012, they had that battle, that excruciating loss to the Heat when they had the 3-2 to two lead against that team. So I'm going to go with Garnett. There's a lot of other great nominees that I could put on this list. I was thinking about going Manny too, but, and like the reason I don't put Moss on this is it's only three and a half years. Like it's just not long enough to put Moss on this list. And so he, elite though, but so, yeah, so elite. No hardware though. I know it's adding his fault. And as we both know, he was great watched in that epi- game. episode and also episode four, even the Jeff Benedict, the author of the dynasty told me, he's like, just wait for episode four. It's going to be a tough watch for you but the most dynamic personality he's like, he could be a sitcom star. He could go on a stand-up tour. He's great as it is talking football. He's the person you're most going to want to hang out and have drinks with all night. Moss is ne- like R- Moss is Randy Moss on the football field. Electric as a talking head in the dynasty. He is hilarious. He's, he's so good. I, and I know you can't swear like when you're on ESPN, but he should be more like that as an analyst. I, I, I dude, I have said, I, you know, this might be something that like maybe one day the ringer can do, you know, like watch alongs where you pay. Like if the Manning cast has become a thing on ESPN, um, maybe there's a way to do something where you can sync up your broad. I've always thought like, who would you rather watch call a game? Like, do you want to have like a lot of your tried and should you want like Spiro Ditas and James Lofton? Or would you rather pay an extra couple of dollars and have Randy Moss and Bill Burr call a game? You know, you know, I mean, like just like, well, Bill Burr always does like the Red Sox a couple of times. Like last year, he's doing it because I think he had a, I think he was touring, right? So I think he did a tour. I think he did a show. Yeah. And he's done like Jimmy Fun stuff. And yeah, Yeah. he's, he, oh yeah, he sold out Fenway two nights. But you know what I mean? Like who wouldn't want to pay $3.99 extra to have like an unfiltered NSFW broadcast? You know, let Randy Moss just go off the hook and like do his thing. Like he's amazing. And it should, there should be no holds barred to what he can say. Yeah, and you know actually who, like from an analyst perspective, just a normal game analyst who's really good, and I didn't know he was doing games until I watched the early game. It was the Chiefs-Dolphins game, the early game this year, was Jason McCourty. Jason McCourty's really good in the booth. J-Mac actually had a really strong year overall on Good Morning Football, calling games uh, on TV, and he's done a bunch of radio as well. Yeah, yeah J like Mac J Mac has been excellent. J Mac has been excellent this year. Who, by the way, right now, um, quick power ranking. Who's your favorite uh, play-by-play and color team right now? Burkhart and Olson. Yeah, I, I go. I go Buck and Aikman. They're just Still like Buck they're. And Aikman. Nothing I wrong think with they're, that. I think they're great. I real. I really do. They're so familiar with each other. They have the chemistry that peak Collinsworth and Michaels had ten years ago. Yeah, or before that, Michaels and Madden, Summerall and Madden. Oh yeah, but I really or, like Olsen. Like I, I like this. He's good. He's good. I think Brady's going to be better than people think, and that's not just coming from a Brady stand like myself. But is he going to be uh, better than Olsen, Though that's my thing. Is like 
Somebody He's else should hire Olsen to be their number one guy. Just, I, just honestly, just Celtic pride style. Go in, kidnap Herb Street, drug him, drag him out of the booth, revitalize out like, and also just tell Al Michaels there's a ribeye steak waiting outside. Get him out of there. Replace the entire Amazon booth. Just give me somebody new with, you know, like give, poach Joe Davis from Fox and pair him with Greg, uh, with Greg Olson. That would make for a dynamite um, Amazon Thursday Night Football broadcast. The only way you won't be able to get Joe Davis away from uh, Fox, though, is he's their number one baseball guy now after Joe Buck left. Yeah, and I'm with you on the Herb Street thing. Everyone knows him as a college guy. When he does, he always says the guy's number two. I know that's like a football guy thing to say the number, but he's always like, yeah, how about 50 out here tonight? It's like, okay, dude, we get yeah. it, bro. We get it. You're prepping for game day. That sounds like a column you should be writing for the ringer. We get it, bro. Every, <laughs> Barrett goes through every week, the week's worth of football guy-isms, if you will, that just stood out loud as like obnoxious. Okay, we get it, bro. Up next on FanDuel, Barrett goes through his top, top five. We get it, bro. Doc Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you suck coaching midseason or not. We get it, bro. All right, who's your last? Um, You know, actually, I didn't think this was the way I was going to go, but as this draft has evolved, you've sold me on impact, longevity, and the need to diversify my portfolio. This dude played for 15 seasons on his particular team. And in going with Pedro in a lot of ways, I'm going with this guy as my final pick. Because the same way Pedro made it cool to come to Boston and to want to play on the Red Sox and ultimately convince all these guys to join him in the rebellion that led to the 2004 idiots coming back. There were a lot of young guys that were drafted. There were players that came of age. There were the Bergerons. There were the Krejci's and others. But Zidane Ochara coming with Peter Shirelli from Ottawa to the Bruins, to me, is the turnaround that began that that started for the Bruins led to them making the playoffs year after year. There was that great run against uh, Montreal where they got knocked out in the first round, but it was an awesome seven-game series. But you could see the tides were turning and something special was going to happen one year. And it took the most epic of series, uh, an awesome Stanley Cup final, Tim Thomas, uh, Bergeron Krejci, Nathan Horton, another unsung hero of all of that time. Uh, but Zidane Chara, Big Z, the man who looked like he was designed and walked off the set of The Nightmare Before Christmas. He's a legend to me. Um, love him. Love that defense. Love that slapper. No one ever wanted to fight him, and there's a million reasons why. So I will go with Zidane Chara at number 10 to round out my top five Boston athletes of the 21st century. Imagine, too, just finishing up your NHL career that you had for, what, 20 years or so with the other locations he had and being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start being a marathon runner. That'd be like the last thing on my mind. Like I'm, I'm a big runner, but I wasn't a professional athlete, right? Like I run to stay in shape. But after you play all these years, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to keep it going. I'm going to be a marathon runner. And he actually, my my brother ran his first marathon this year in Chicago. And Chara was there running a marathon, running the Chicago Marathon. So, yeah, holy cool. smokes. Dude played for 25 years in the NHL. 25. Wild. Okay. So. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my... So you have Brady, Pedro, Gronk, Manny Char. I have Ortiz, Pierce, Bergeron, Mookie, Garnett. So it comes out... I had to make up years for longevity in my thing. That's why I went with Bergeron. It comes out mm -hmm. to, by my math, and you can double check me on this or Jamie can, 60 and a half years for me and 55 and a half years for you. So I think that I have... pretty the, even. Well, yeah, I had to... Well, think about my first three picks. Ortiz, Pierce, and Bergeron. 
And then I went yeah. with like sort of peak guys because you had Brady and then you got Char at the end to really make up some ground in terms of the years, but you got the best player in this as well. Okay. So let's bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, Brian, but this is an unenviable task. These are tough teams hmm. to pick between. So you don't have, you don't have a pick yet. I, I, I keep looking. I've been looking both back and forth between these two teams. It's like picking. It's it's impossible almost. But um. But in the sake of fairness, though, I mean, Barrett got the win last year with the Patriots dynasty draft. It's so a consideration. Definitely. Don't you want to set up the cliffhanger? Favorites. Give it to your old pal Fitzy over here. Next year we have to have the final draft to rule them all. Come on. That's, that's a good point. Um, Jamie, what's your what's your Venmo, Jamie? Come on. Maybe I can grease that. <laughs> Firstly, though, I got a, I got a couple bones to pick with you guys okay. in terms of omissions. Oh, okay. Guy. Yeah, yeah, let's do that first. Yeah, Jamie, tell us where we fucked up. One guy I had, I had him six on my list. Dustin Pedroia did not make either of your squads. Come on. The guy's a life for Red Sox. He played like 13 plus seasons yeah. until he got hurt. He had, you know, two World Series rings. He won an MVP, as you said, Brian. You talk about the, the hardware, the rings. He won an MVP, Rookie of the Year. Somehow only won four gold gloves. I feel like he could have won that award every single year. He was four-time All-Star was, you know, the de facto captain of, of some really fantastic Red Sox teams. I was just a little surprised considering his, like, grit. No, that's a good call. The reason I don't have him in here, and I wrote this in uh, my on my big board notes here, is hate the way it fucking ended. Not because, mm-hmm. like, he got injured, but because of the whole thing with Machado. And maybe I shouldn't hold that against him because 13, him and Ellsbury at the top of the lineup were so good. You mentioned early on winning the yeah. MVP. Never striking out. I think he's got a career 300 hitter. Like he was an amazing, he was an amazing guy f- for so long. I just, I don't know. I like his longevity against, I guess the one guy I healthy could, seasons. Yeah. The one guy yeah, I could look at my He's baseball Brad Marchand though. You got to admit like Marshy an and uh, Pedroia. Yeah. With, with an MVP, a, a silver slugger, rookie of the year. I, he's great too. I hate the way it ended as well. He's one of those intrinsically Boston type of like you'd hate him on 29 other teams but you love him on yours because he's like such a dirt dog grinder pest and pain in the ass definitely merited consideration but well out of my top 10 another guy too is like lester did it for a while it's just he was never like he was never like peak in the in the sport right now in 2013 he was incredible in that postseason run but it's never like he was a cy young caliber pitcher but lester is definitely another guy that i gave consideration to and didn't put on there. I'm trying to think if I ran through all the guys that I had those are, on my list. Those are my two guys that I had on the on the fringe. Was well, I thought Pedro was firmly in there, and then Lester was the guy on the fringe. Just because, like you said, he was great in the postseason. Brino in the World Series. I've forgotten this that he was the winning pitcher in the clinching game against the Rockies in 07. 0.42 yeah. ERA in World Series games. And then my favorite thing, just because baseball changing, and I'm a grumpy old man, is that he averaged. Uh, it was over 207 innings from his like uh, healthy years on the Red Sox. Workhorse. workhorse, absolute hoss. The year we yeah. traded him, over 220 innings. Who does that anymore? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah and also like the guy. Yeah, he beats he beats the Cardinals in the World Series in cancer. Yeah. Uh, you know, as right. a as a young buck, like and he's no awesome. Like, what what no hitter did you ever cheer louder for than his in 2008 coming back healthy yeah. after the fight of his life? Amazing. Like, and he like on another side another podcast idea. The players that left that pissed you off the most. John Lester should have never yeah. pitched an inning for another team ever. That was such a bad decision. They admittedly botched it. They admittedly said they botched it. Like it was, it was brutal. And I just, you know, one thing about Lester, biggest legs going. That dude did not skip leg day. Nope. Quads were massive. He was so reliable too to go out there and give you six innings every time that 
he went out to the mound. I was it was a big Lester. I was a big Lester fan. That's a good call. Um, actually, I said that, so I shouldn't say that was a good call. <laughs> I was but, gonna yeah. say it. Yeah. It, it's a yeah, good point. Edelman, Edelman was good one. I may have I may have yeah. given a whiskers consideration to Welker, uh, you know, Vinatieri, but like he, you know, he made the big kicks, Vinatieri, obviously. Actually. That's funny. Yeah, um, a, couple, a couple other ones that I would throw out there is like yeah. I was thinking of the early dynasty for the Patriots. I threw like Seymour and Ty Law out there because of mm-hmm. what they did for the early dynasty. And then a recent guy that's in year seven all of a sudden is Tatum. Yep. And Tatum is now a top five player in the NBA. He's been to the finals, but he's got to. Yeah, that's the point is he's got to get the ring. Like if we do this next year and Tatum wins the championship this year, he's got to belong on this list because that'll be seven years as a Celtic, a trip to the finals, multiple all stars, multiple all NBAs and yeah. a title. But I couldn't put him on there yet because he didn't win the championship. And I'm not saying everybody has to win a championship. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> based on the criteria in the field, yeah. every I mean, guy that we pick won a championship. I'd they go Will Fork before Tatum. I'd go. I I would go Will, Will Fork before Tatum, guys, because he actually he's one of those players that bridges it. He wins a title his rookie year in two thousand four, then gets one in twenty fourteen. He's one of the consistent great players in the ten year absence of Super Bowls as well. Um, yeah, like I, Tatum, uh, just and t- he's a little SAWFT soft for me until he gets that ring and. Uh, and Whoa. That he can find it in the clutch. No, I'll, I said it. Like I said, I'll live on unpopular take island. I love Tatum's talent, but that little something is missing. Show me that you can take the team on those now broad, developed, muscular shoulders. Show me that you can perform in the clutch. Show me that you don't cower in the face of another team's aggression when it matters most. Mm. Then I'll feel better about it. Yeah, so this is what I'll say about Tatum is I feel like he get like here, the standard is winning championships, right? Especially when you're playing in the city and in particular with the Celtics organization as well. But I do feel like sometimes Tatum, and this isn't me trying to be soft and make excuses for Tatum because I know he was, I watched it. He was horrific against the Warriors. He was bad last year in the postseason until game six against Philly. Mm-hmm. Remember he had that stretch against Philly where he wasn't good. He hit the big shots and then he had the 51 in game seven. But a lot of guys his age don't get to that point. Nice like job. he was in the finals at 23. You think about the other guys in the draft class they're nowhere near that. So I think that sort of paints a picture of what Tatum is when it's like most guys, when they win their championships, they're 26, 27, 28. Tim Duncan is sort of the oddity coming in right away and being one of the best players in the sport. Dwayne Wade won early, but he had Shaq. You got to go back to like the 1980s, right? Larry Bird and Magic just take it over the NBA right away. So I think that's part of it with Tatum. The other thing I'll say about this, so I was doing our fan, uh, I was on FanDuel TV yesterday doing East Coast, or this morning, I should say, doing East Coast Bias with House and Raheem Palmer. Raheem <laughs> said to me when I mentioned Tatum, like, for a long shot MVP, 29 plus 2,900, he called Tatum the Brock Purdy of the NBA. I'm oh. like, whoa! <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh, House. How, someone mean, needs a David Chang meal. Come on. What are we doing, House? No, it was Raheem. It wasn't House. Oh, it was so, Raheem. Okay. Yeah. So I. So when he said that, I'm like, whoa. So cause, like my whole thing is like, okay, like Brock Purdy's like the eighth best player on his own team. Like Tatum's the best player on his team. But I I did think the line was hilarious for a second because he's his point was just the Celtics are so stacked. But I totally disagree with that point on the show. But. I figured I'd bring it up now that we're maybe, talking about Maybe Tatum. Derek White is the Brock Purdy, but uh, you know, I, I yeah. shall also entertain no Derek White slander on this podcast yeah. or any other show because that man gave us a Game 7, the gift of Game 7 last year against the Heat. Not to mention he's Mr. Do do everything that you need to do and then some. Um, love me some Derek White, but but I digress. I do too. But yeah, so t- Tatum to me, like 
We'll see how this playoff goes. He's he's the star with the best team. He should win it this year if everybody is healthy heading into the postseason. Mainly, of course, when we're looking at um when we're looking at, of course, uh Porzingis. I don't know how mm-hmm. I forgot Porzingis. Dude, Sorry, I love Jamie. the Zinger is amazing, man. Like he's 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 that last piece. Who would you say who is who is he like who has been brought into another team? That will like that you can say like is it is it that like sort of like Garnett was the, what they needed to get that particular iteration of the yeah. Celtics over the hump maybe Porzingis on the new style Missoula three centric offensive wonderkin Brad Stevens Celtics is what they need like it's kind of kind of interesting maybe to see like, like Darrell Revis or something yeah there you go defense. like who was the missing like a missing link who was that extra somebody that got you over the hump in the Bruins or the this or yeah. the Celtics or the, yeah. I got two examples of that. First is 2018 JD because they hadn't replaced Ortiz in 17. So you needed the middle of the mm-hmm. order line, uh, middle Solid. of the lineup. And then who was the other one I was thinking of? Oh, Garnett. Garnett. We, yep. Yeah, we already said Garnett. So Garnett would be in there as well. And then yeah. 2004 Schilling. Bingo. This Bingo. The second guy. All right. So, Jamie, uh, Fitzy's got to run soon. So let's get these. Uh, let's yeah. get your grades here, man. We're putting the you know, pressure like on I you said, right now. If you're looking at stats, hardware, et cetera, they're pretty equal. So I'm just going on the guys that gave me the most joy, the ones that sparked joy. So I'm going to give Fitzy the win here because, I mean, firstly, Whoa! it's it's like it's not a sexy pick, but it's Tom yes. Brady. Like at this at the realistically, you look at these on paper, Tom Brady's Tom Brady. He gave me the most joy of any guy on the list. And then honestly, like getting Gronk at six was pretty high. I had him third on my big board. So I think Gangrock six was a big pick and Manny eight too. Manny wait, was you had like him third? one of my favorite players. So wait, hold on. You, you, I just want to get this real. You had Gronk third. So did you have him over Ortiz or Pierce? Uh, Pierce. I had Brady, okay. Ortiz, Gronk. Interesting. I mean, he's, he was the best tight end ever. One of the best skilled players ever in one big game. So anyways, I had him. Like you mentioned with Manny, I mean, beyond just the numbers, I just loved watching him hit, like blasting home runs into the bullpen. Like I didn't, I was a kid, so I didn't realize that how special that was until guys stopped doing it. Like JD actually did it a little bit, but in general, just power the whole wheel throw. And I know he had some issues, but he was just the fun guy. I loved watching him play, high-fiving guys in the stands. So he sparked a Mm -hmm. lot of joy. So those picks, and I know Pedro... At first, I was like, this is close to disqualification with this pick because of how much he did. (laughs) In the 20th century, but Brian, you you backed him, and like you said, he won the Cy Young in 2000. So, and he won the the World Series. So, we'll take it. And he, you know, arguably the best Red Sox player, best pitcher, definitely of, of in Sox history. So, mm-hmm. in terms of sparking joy, I'm giving you uh, the shout out there, and Char too, of course. He actually he delivered the cup. Yeah, yeah and but- I wonder, Barrett. Do you think Barrett? I wonder if if we if if you if you don't go Berger on at five. Let's say you go, let's say maybe you don't go Mookie. Maybe you go Gronk or maybe you go Manny or something like that there. I bet I let Bergeron sit there. I wonder, you know, like five, I think maybe Value, when you grab I Berg- got him later. Yeah. I should have played the board better. I should have read that. <laughs> I should, I should have read the board better, but it's a good point. And by the way, I referenced like the years I had the advantage on you. The championship advantage is not even close because you got Brady and Gronk in there. <laughs> uh, Manny's Manny's got two. Pedro's got one. Chara's got one. So champions all around on mine as well. Um, yours too. But like, I think I got you on the rings. All right, Fitzy. Thanks so much for joining us, man. It was a ton of fun. Congratulations on the win, and we'll talk again soon. Looking forward to it, my guy. You guys keep up the great work. Thank you, Jamie. Checks in the mail. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there with Fitzy. That was a lot of fun going down memory lane. Jamie McClellan, producer extraordinaire, still with us here. You know what I just realized, too, in my list? 
one mm-hmm. of my biggest errors during this list. There's a lot of pressure with this list. I, I was too <laughs> worried about making up the ground with the years against Brady. Mm. One of the things I just realized, I didn't draft a Patriot. Because he drafted Gronk third, right? I took Bergeron over Gronk because of the longevity of Bergeron. But I didn't get a Patriot in there. I, I was considering some of those other guys. But I I had to get Mookie on my list. That was like one of the things I put in here. Is like, I need to get Mookie on this list. Pedroia was a good call by you, though. I was just, Pedroia was a good call. Tim Thomas, like if we're talking about peaks, that one cup run is, right. if we're talking about postseason performances, that to me is the only, like outside of Brady, because Brady's in his own stratosphere. But Tim Thomas's one right. Stanley good Cup run. run is the, like, it's just amazing. It's one of the best runs in the history of the NHL from a goaltender. I mean, you could, based on the numbers, it's the most saves, right? So like Tim Thomas's yeah. one run and then, Obviously, Ortiz has unbelievable postseason moments. But yeah, that that Tim Thomas cup run, and he won the Vezna that year too. That was unbelievable. Just the longevity is not there with Tim Thomas. Yeah, I mean, no pass is tough, but I'd say just beyond those two, I, I agreed with both you guys. Those are the two. So maybe you should have went after Gronk if you wanted to get one on the list because it does. there's a bit of a drop-off in terms of... Because, you know, football, they have shorter careers. People move around and stuff like that, so... One thing I'll say about Edelman that is cool is that he has his entire career with the Pats, yeah. you know, Foxborough forever. So that that's not nothing in the NFL. Um, All right. So, Jamie, since you mentioned you had Brady, Ortiz, Gronk, what was what was your big board? My big board was I had Brady, Ortiz, Gronk, like you said. Then I had Pierce. And then I actually had Chara 5, which, you know, whatever. That's what I had. Captain. Get some credit for that. And then I had Pedroia 6, Manny 7. Eight was KG, nine was Bergeron, and then ten I had different names written down. Where I had uh, Lester, Mookie, Tatum, Edelman. These were with question marks. It was a tricky ten spot. And then the other guy, which I've kind of gone back on now, was uh, Ellsbury. I think is on some bigger oh, list. He, no, he's no, on. No, no. Come on. <laughs> well, you you're talking about put... peaks, dude. You're talking about peaks. His 2011 season was one of the best seasons of all time. He's 30-30 guy, runner yeah. up for the MVP, led the league in steals. His but, thirteen um, year was good too. His thirteen, yeah. the year they won he the won World, two World Series, Series. Really and I thought and I honestly thought Ellsbury was going to be like one of the best players in Major League history when I saw him. Injured, I'm like, dude, yeah. this guy is so fast. He can hit. He doesn't he, strike he did, out for a little bit. For a little bit. Yeah, maybe maybe he was still getting paychecks from the Red Sox when he went to the Yankees because he tanked them. He was horrible good. when he went to the Yankees. That was a good silver lining of that. How that was like the worst contract of all time. A couple tidbits, Brian, that I just wanted to mention before the end of this. Uh, firstly, you mentioned Pasternak. Same kind of the same boat as Tatum needs to get a, a ring, but uh, yeah. they mentioned this on the TNT broadcast of the Oilers Bruins game last night. Uh, he's the second longest tenured Boston athlete right now after Slater retired. Isn't that crazy? Behind uh, Marchand. Wow, that is kind of crazy. Yeah, Boston. and he was like, if you think about pa- Poss, is obviously one of the most dangerous scorers in the league. He's top four in points, top four in goals. Last year, he was second in goals, and. One of the things is 2019, the cup, he was minus seven He was in against the Blues. He was not good in that. Now, nobody was. Like, Bergeron was not great in that series. Ryan O'Reilly was the best player. Actually, you know who played pretty well in that Stanley Cup? Thinking back now was Coyle. It, that was just a heartbreaker because you had Chara coming back from yeah. the broken jaw, coming out game five. I thought they were going to win game five. They didn't win game five. And then game they come back for game seven, lose at home. So, yeah. But Pasta, Pasta needs, like... He's a great player, and we all know, like, he's one of the best players in the NHL. He needs, like, that signature postseason run, okay? Yeah. And then the other guy, like, Mar- either. He's yeah, Marshawn, 
Yeah, Marshawn certainly could have gotten onto this list as well, but Marshawn, like 15 years is a long time. And Marshawn, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the pod or somewhere else. Marshawn, Jack Edwards had the note the other day, since Marshawn made his debut with the Bruins, they have the most wins and the most points in That's the entire cool. NHL, like during that span, which is pretty Because like Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin were there during that time, right? And he is that. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying like put him in that category. I'm just saying it's kind of crazy. It's part of it's because he's played for this Bruins organization. It'd just be so sweet if they get a second because, I know. because I of how, how great the run's been. Um, they deserve them. one. Yeah, the whole postseason sure. last year was just, it was a complete they debacle for the Bruins. Too upsetting to talk about almost. Uh, last things also, you mentioned Mookie Betts winning MVP. MVP and World Series, as we've learned, is almost impossible doing the same year. Tom Brady never did. I think he's the only guy to do it, especially in this time span of having both of those things happen the same season, which is pretty cool. Mahomes. Mahomes yeah, did it two years Boston ago. Athlete, but I know, did, oh, did Boston, Mahomes yeah. in 20, did 21, I guess? His one over the Niners, he was the MVP? No, he was the MVP when they beat the Eagles. Oh, right. right one regular week. season MVP. I'm trying to think. So, Bird, the Celtics yeah, won back. in eight. They won sure. 84, 85, 86. He won two MVPs during that stretch. Two out of his three. Shaq probably won, right? When the Lakers, when they won? I think Shaq won one during the three-peat. Um, I know that Bird won. He won three straight MVPs. He's the last guy to do it. Nobody's won three straight MVPs. Yeah. A bunch of guys have won back-to-back, but... Bird's the last Jokic guy to probably win three should in a row. have last year won the MVP and the ring, but he didn't. So whatever. Yeah, I guess did LeBron ever win MVP? Maybe he the must Heat. Have, yeah, he must have won when he was because he won two with the Heat, and I think yeah, yeah he he won back to back MVPs and championships in those years because the first year he went there, Derrick Rose won MVP because everybody yeah. was pissed off. Actually, I would argue if you go back to that MVP award, it should have been Dwight Howard's. I know nobody wants to hear that now, but Dwight Howard. <laughs> I want to hear that. He, yeah, Dwight should have won. It, was, it should have been Dwight or LeBron. Yeah. It shouldn't have been Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is a great story and a great yeah. player and all that. But that that I'm trying to think like baseball's back hard though because obviously yeah. it's such a team sport. Mookie, 18, yeah, like that, you that's mentioned. What I, mean. like, I think that might be yeah. the only one I can think of. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one, uh, yeah. man. So fun to watch, but yes, it, that was a fun exercise, man. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's crazy we have that many good athletes in the last twenty years. I the best, I would say. I can't. I can't think of another city really competing in all four. So I mean, it's like you're picking between the sports. It's not a, you know you had the freaking Patriots and you only have two guys on that list. It's insane. That was the best team of the whole era. Yeah, you know who's having a recent run, and obviously it has not been good for the Broncos lately. But they did win a Super Bowl. In what 2015, when they had Von Miller and the end of the Peyton Manning era, but then they win the Stanley Cup. Nathan McKinnon is clearly right. one of the best players in the NHL. It's probably going to come down to, I mean, right now I think uh, I'll double check this, but he was the favorite on Fanduel for a while for the MVP. It's oh, been yeah, going it's... like Kucherov was out up oh, there. Yeah. yeah, Kucherov was up there in terms of the odds. Let me double check on this right now. I'll bring up the uh, the uh, handy Fanduel. Yeah, so it, it's got to uh, be Matthews, right? He was up there too, but I believe like at the All Star break, McKinnon may have had the best odds for. Yeah, so right now it's McKinnon plus one sixty, Kucherov is plus two seventy, Austin Matthews is plus two eighty. I'm taking that. Hunter McDavid plus three forty, and Pasta is at plus twenty five hundred. And you could have got McDavid against the field earlier in the offseason, like before the season started. Oh, yeah. But that yeah, that's a really good, good MVP race. McKinnon is an absolute stud. Yeah. So, oh, going back to my original, like Denver's Denver. now having this run where obviously the Rockies stink and they're not going to get good. But you have 
the best NBA player right now, a team that just won a championship, yeah. a Stanley Cup, uh, Stanley Cup winner the season before that could clearly go back to the Stanley Cup final again this year out of the Western Conference. So they're having a nice little run there in Denver in terms of, they are. I mean, the Mind Chiefs the are having their run. Too but, much, I guess, but yeah. But the yeah, other the one is uh, the LA. It's strangely, you don't want to hear that too, but obviously the Dodgers are <laughs> maybe the best team of all time, on paper at least. And then Rams kind of hung around after falling off. They won a championship and then Lakers won a, you know, quasi-championship, I guess. They're not really quite in that boat, but they've won three rings in the past five years or whatever. Yeah, what the Rams are an interesting team for... The Super Bowl next year, because what they got out of some some of those young guys, yeah. Kyron Williams Puka. and Puka. Yeah, like those two guys and Stafford. I mean, you look at the NFC quarterbacks like it's not like it is in the AFC. Right. Right. Like right in the play- that, playoffs. They easily could have beaten Detroit. Like that yeah. was a ba- that was I, that was one of the best games of the postseason. So I'm really high on the Rams. I'll probably maybe put a future on them to win the Super I Bowl wonder, next year. I mean, not that he's all end all for their team but you got to think donald i mean he was slowing down but you got to think he'll slow down even further though yeah st- he's still an elite player though he's not like for like a five-year period he was like by not far not, of the year, yeah, yeah the best defensive player of the year he was the best defensive player for that time he's still yeah still elite and you would think those guys are all motivated to come back after because remember mcveigh was like contemplating retirement for a little bit there and now it's when like, they were why like would he you ret- know five and 13 or whatever he's yeah. contemplating retirement now they're good again he probably is thinking about less yeah all right jamie good stuff man thank you brian all right i'm looking at the Celts coming out of the break taking on the bulls on thursday night i'll take the celtics on the money line how about tatum for 25 points Kristaps porzingis for 20 points and tatum for eight rebounds all right as always make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172 email your thoughts and questions to off the pike at gmail.com Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.